Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the USC Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Sprawling, along with my co-host, Mr. Triple Double himself, Connor Morissette. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Shotgun. Another week, another episode. Looking forward to it. For any first-time listeners, the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows, the Triple Double is a podcast focused on the Trojan men and women of Troy basketball programs. Each week, we break down... The latest action for both teams as well as look forward to the upcoming matchups. This week, we'll be looking ahead to the first iteration of the Crosstown Showdown for the men's team. Later, we'll be joined by USC assistant coach and former player Kirk Karras to talk about the rivalry and facing the Bruins, along with his journey from Chicago to Los Angeles and walk on to assistant coach. Make sure you stick around to hear that interview. But first, let's take a look back at the most recent action from the USC men's and women's team. Shotgun, unfortunately, We do not have a single victory to talk about this week. It was just one of those weeks for both programs. Yeah, it was a tough week. Uh, The men's team obviously has been struggling. Uh, We we talked about their loss to Arizona last week on the podcast. You know, that game occurred before we recorded. So, you know, we only have the Arizona State game to talk about, but same exact score, 82-67 in that game as well. Same as the Arizona game. In that game, USC comes out on fire in the first half. They're putting the ball in the bucket. felt like every time they, they shot it. The problem was they didn't get too many shots because of how many turnovers they had in that one. Season high, 22 turnovers, 15 in the first half. You know, they, they I think they shot 55%. They were shooting 67%, I think, until the final six minutes or six and a half minutes, something like that, of the first half. And yet they trailed at the half because of how many times they turned the ball over. And then the second half, Arizona State kind of pulled away. There was a opportunity for USC very similar. You know, I talked about it earlier on other podcasts. Like it feels like every time these two teams match up, going into the final couple minutes, it's a one possession game, and it felt like that was going to be the case again. But USC faded at the end of that half as well, same as they did in the first half. And I'm kind of wondering maybe if this team is just getting tired. Uh, I don't just they don't have answers, and you know, it's just it's just not working for them. So the men lose 82 to 67 to Arizona State in their game. They're now. Uh, you know, got another losing streak on their hands. They'll see if they can break out of that rivalry game coming up this week. Perfect opportunity to start getting some positive momentum going forward and a perfect opportunity to have a full week of practice, which is what the rivalry games give you in the Pac-12. On the women's side, two, they go on the, the second toughest road trip in the Pac-12. The toughest for USC and UCLA, the other one being coming to USC and UCLA. And the women of Troy lose both games one game they were in, one game they were not. They went to Utah and got blown out. Their former teammate, Alyssa Peely, put on a show for sure. Tied her career high with 37 points. USC just would fade, you know, Utah pulled away early and kept uh, kept their foot on the gas the entire time. Then they go to Colorado and tight game, 
Juju Watkins fouls out. McKenzie Forbes has an opportunity to tie it in the final seconds. Can't get the shot to go down. So two tough losses, uh, two top 20 losses. USC slides from number six in the polls to number uh, 11, I think it is now. Uh, So the women of Troy go tough road trip, lose both games on the mountain road trip, but saw some positives, saw some negatives. What stood out to you in the last week about what we saw from the men and women? Yeah, well, just starting with the men, I mean, it was the classic case of they were in the game and then they weren't just because how they played is not sustainable with all the turnovers. They overcame a lot of those first half turnovers, like you said, Shotgun, because they were shooting the ball well. And it just seems to be the similar theme that we've talked about with no Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier, a decent to somewhat strong first half. And then even in the second half against ASU, USC, I think, was only down three or four points with about 10 minutes to go. And then it all didn't go well from there, but they've been in some of these games and then they just aren't because they missed their two leading scores. And for whatever reason, things just haven't clicked this year. So it was similar in that regard. I, I think most people watching that ASU game thought, okay, it's nice that this game is close, but the bottom's going to fall out here eventually. And then it did. They've become pretty predictable in that regard. So hopefully Boogie Ellis comes back. I just saw a tweet. Mick Cronin talked about how much Boogie Ellis has killed UCLA in the past and he expects him to play. So now that he's had this whole week off, that will be a big boost if he is able to go. And then on the women's side, yeah, sort of like we talked about last week, I kind of just had a feeling that Utah game wasn't going to go well. Alyssa Peely, USC really has has no one to guard her, and, and Rhea Marshall was coming off of an illness, so she probably is your best bet there, and she just didn't have her A game because I, I don't think she was 100% in that one. So like we talk about sometimes here with the football program, you just, you just flush that performance and, and move on. That was a big thing we talked about uh, during the fall. Then the Colorado game, yeah, I felt like USC really bounced back in that one. And I don't want to run over my triple-double, but I'll just get into the beginning of it here. I I was just really impressed with, even though they didn't win, Juju Watkins fouls out with almost six minutes to go, and they were already down three or four at that point. And I just kind of thought, okay, that's it. And that was not it. They fought really hard without her. We saw some players step up. And I, I think in the long run, if Juju Watkins files out in the NCAA tournament, USC is probably done. But if she does, at least you have something the rest of the team can build on and say, hey, this happened to us way back in January on the road against a really good Colorado team. We we know we can take care of business, business and overcome her loss. So I, I think they might be better for it in the long run. Let's just jump into it. Let's not belabor the point. Let's go with your triple-double. Let's start with the positives, though. We talked about, you know, this is a, a week of losses for USC, but there were some positives, and you mentioned the fact that they can take this. I put in my positives they were humbled by this. At least I expect them to be humbled by this. We'll, they see what it takes to win on the road with a target on their back. How do they bounce back uh, will be interesting. So that's one of my positives. You talked about hanging tough without Juju. Uh, I said after some poor officiating, too. You know, I didn't like the the fifth call on Juju. You know, a player supposed to be allowed to establish position and come down. She was not allowed to in that play. There was another foul earlier on her that an offensive foul where someone's, you know, trying to, to – get to the screen and the defender just falls over. I think she tripped on someone. There was a foul called on her there. So I didn't think the officiating was great in that game. Um, in the ASU men's game also, the officiating was pretty terrible for USC and they didn't handle it very well either. Um, but uh, I thought that they did hang tough in that one. What about you? What were the positives for you coming out of, of USC's couple losses for the women of Troy? Just following up on what I said, so Juju fouls out with 5.50 left. 
but then Caleb Padilla hits a big three and Caitlin Davis sort of out of nowhere has that big and one bucket. And you just saw players who don't normally take big shots. Caleb Padilla takes some big shots, but, but Caitlin Davis to have that spin move and get into the lane and, and finish, that was really impressive to me. And I, I just thought USC didn't fold in, in those moments. And, and that was impressive. Caleb Padilla gets her own nod for me on the, the three up a turnover free road trip for her. We talked wow. about how the turnovers are, are, are so costly for the men she plays so much and she didn't turn the ball over in two big road games for usc and i just have in my notes here she's efficient and she's clutch i don't expect her to take too many shots we don't see that often for for kayla that's just not her game but i feel like when she does take shots usually they go in and usually they're at pretty big moments and then the last thing a little bit of a cop-out for me but i i think it's sort of like what you said about being humbled we we knew the adversity was coming so two-game losing streak here right now, obviously not the best place to be, but can you make a bad thing a good thing? Can you bounce back? Can you learn from your mistakes? Can this better USC in the long run? And I think this team, we've seen their flaws. The inefficient offensive performances are are, are a big problem, and sometimes losing the rebounding battle is a big problem. Defensively, though, they they still play really good defense, and that's going to keep them in a lot of games. So can they make some tweaks where they're still playing good defense and fix some things on offense where – this negative period turns into a positive that remains to be seen, but I think that's the challenge ahead of them right now. And with Lindsay Gottlieb and the rest of that staff, I think they have a good chance to turn things around here. Yeah. With mine, I mentioned a couple of them. The third one I had was Taylor Bigby. I thought she played really well. She hit a shot right after Juju fouled out. So another person that, that stepped up, you know, the, the points they scored and they didn't score a, score a ton of points in that fourth quarter, um, you know, but the 10 points that they had after Juju fouled out in the final five fifty. Four different players. So I, I thought that was important for for them to have four different players, you know, scoring baskets for them. Um, and now can they score a couple more and get the win? That would be the next hurdle that they would have to do without Juju. Uh, but, you know, like you said, the fact that they were able to hang in that game because when she fouls out, they're down by three. You know, one big bucket by Colorado and maybe you start, you know, a big three-pointer or something. Now you're down by six and you start going, oh, no, we don't have anybody. We don't have Juju to come in and save us type of thing. And does that pressure build? And they didn't let that happen. Instead, Taylor Bigby hits the three, puts them back up. Then they had a couple of fast break points from from, uh, Jalen Sherrod, again, on plays where USC was trying to drive the ball and hands in there, whether or not there should have been a foul call. Yeah, it could have been called tighter, I thought, in that game than it was. Uh, I thought they got let Colorado get away with some things, especially in their zone defense, and that hurt USC. They didn't handle it very well. I thought the same thing with the men. You know, they could have been called tighter, but neither team handled it great. I thought USC's women um, in against that zone defense, and I think that's something we may see more from teams going forward against USC, especially if Juju's not on the court. Okay, is someone going to be able to knock down some shots for them? Are they going to be able to – because no one – they don't have anyone – until Ray and Marshall start showing a little bit more on the offensive side, they don't have anyone to sit in the middle of that zone and hurt you. A lot of women's basketball teams have either a big or just someone they can put there that knocks down that mid-range, you know, in the middle of the key. That's just a, a key shot for the women's game. And because USC hasn't shown anyone consistently doing that or, or didn't in this game against Colorado, I wouldn't be surprised we see some more 2-3 or 3-2 type of zones where the middle is open and they they get out and defend against the three-pointers really heavily and force someone to to step up for USC and I, I think Ray Marshall needs to be that person to knock down that you know that 
free throw line extended jumper. Um, but right now, I, I don't think that she's the person that's been consistently doing that. So I'm, I'm curious to see if that's something that, that happens to them in the future. But I, I think that that's something, you know, that, again, all these things are things they can learn from. You see how teams are attacking USC and really trying to play super tight on Juju and play off of everyone else and force other players to beat them, you know, and when Juju is out of the game, obviously that the other players have to step up as well. What about on the negative side? When you lose two games, there's going to be some negatives. What do you got, Connor? Under 40% shooting in both games. The Utah game a little bit worse, 36.1. And then the Colorado game, a little bit of a jump, 38.5%. But just defensively, if you play good defense, you're going to be in a lot of these games, and they were in that Colorado game, not so much the Utah game, obviously, but the shooting needs to be there too. You you can't shoot as poorly as USC did, especially on the road and and win these games. So I, I think it's been a consistent thing all year against UCLA. It's not like USC really shot the lights out in either of those games. I think they won more in that second one based on what they did defensively. So that's sort of the blueprint for them. But if you can get better offensive outputs, that of course will help. And then to go along with that, they missed a lot of shots, but they were out rebounded by nine against Utah and 10 against Colorado. So they're missing shots and then not getting the rebound. It's just a recipe for not winning. And that's why, or at least a big reason why they went over two. And then my other one, Juju's threes just not falling right now. One of 11 on the road trip from downtown. She's still scoring, still leading score in both those games. Still really, really talented, of course. But I, I just think we talk so much about her being so tired. And I think when the three-point shot isn't falling, she's just a little bit short on some of those shots. That's all the evidence you need. One of 11. We all know she's a way better shooter than that. I think she's fatigued and feeling it a little bit. My negatives, I think you, you talked about Kayla Padilla not having any turnovers on this trip and how she can knock down the big shot. I need her to be more aggressive. Now, she took a couple more shots after Juju fouled out, but I want to see her get the ball in her hands more, create, because the one of my other negatives is there's not a ton of shot creation for teammates. They had 14 assists on 42 baskets. That's that's not enough. That's nowhere near enough. Um, their opponents... Uh, you know, the women tore their opponents in that on the road trip had 22 on 49 baskets. So you see eight more assists and, you know, seven more baskets. You know, th- th- they need to share the ball more. And when you saw a couple times Juju drive and kick and Taylor Bigby knocked down a three, um, you, you saw uh, Juju drive and set up Clarice Akinwafu for a, a wide open layup. I need to see some more driving kicks from from players instead of these contested shots over sometimes two two defenders. And I know Juju can make those. I know McKenzie Forbes can make those. However, I'm going to trust a wide-open Caleb Padilla or a wide-open Taylor Bigby to knock down a jumper over you know uh, someone shooting over two defenders. So I I think they need to share the ball a little bit more and help create shots for each other. I I just think there at times, and this is a product of you know the scouting, you know, when you get in conference play and everyone knows your plays and you're scouted so well, you know, that the offense can get stagnant. And it's more about creating rather than the play creating a shot for you. It's players creating shots for each other. And I think that's something they need to do. And then my other big negative is Caitlin Davis had that great shot, you know, that and one, but she missed the free throw. There's a minute and a half left, can put USC ahead, and now you're putting the pressure on Colorado. Rather than being a tie game and, hey, you miss a shot, it's still tie. Now it's, oh, we missed a shot, and now you you start tightening up a little bit at home as a top-five team, especially after they had already lost to UCLA earlier in the weekend. I think you could have just put so much more pressure on them if you make that free throw. That's a big one. Now it's a minute and a half left. A lot of stuff transpired after that minute and a half. 
But I, I thought that was a big one that, that could have kind of changed the momentum of the game in that moment. So that was a, another negative for me in that one. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, especially the assists, because it's just too much. If it's not Juju, it's Mackenzie Forbes trying to get that shot. And I, I think they can play better team basketball, especially on offense. So uh, we'll see how they bounce back this week against the Washington schools. I think it's a good spot for them getting those two teams at home and certainly have the opportunity to bounce back. Yeah, being at home never hurts as well. How about to the men? They'll be at home, but let's go through our three, our, our triple double here. Three positives. Can you find three positives for me? Uh, it, it was tough. Uh, Got to start with Vince Iwachuku. I'm sure he's on your list as well. Led USC scoring against Arizona State with 14 points, five seven shooting, and 12 rebounds. Hopefully, he starts to really turn a corner here because if he starts playing better and comes back next season, just based on like what kind of we thought he was going to be when he was recruited before all of his injuries. And he kind of just gets a fresh start heading into next season and builds off the end of this season. That that could be huge. That just kind of shows how far USC's fallen. If that, if that's, you know, one of the positives here, bigs off the bench, I thought were solid on offense. Kajani Wright and Josh Morgan combined to shoot uh six of eight from the floor. I don't remember any like ball clanging off their hands, turnovers where you're like, Oh, that was, a big mistake like we've kind of seen earlier in the season. So that was another one I thought on offense, USC's bigs played really well. Maybe even the best offensive performance on the year from USC's bigs, I I think based on just how it's gone so far. And then sort of what we talked about earlier, even though USC was getting killed with the turnovers and if, if you were watching the game, they weren't playing well, pretty obviously they were in this game and then two big runs sort of took them out the 20 to five, extended run in the first half and then the 17 to two run in the second half. So some people that might sound like a negative and I get it, but for large stretches of this game, USC was in it and they were shooting better than they had with, without Isaiah and and Boogie for long stretches. They just have not been able to put a full 40 minutes together. I I feel like they played 30 pretty solid minutes and maybe solid to stretch, but 30 minutes of of basketball where they were able to to be in the game and they had some bad turnovers, but they didn't get killed by the turnovers in that 30 minutes. And then there were 10 where it just all went to hell. And that's why they ended up losing so, so badly. So I don't know, that might sound like a negative, but I I thought you look at the final score, you look at the turnovers, you'd probably think, okay, this was over from the opening tip. They were in the game for, for large periods. And I think when you haven't had much to hold on to this season on the men's side, you can maybe hold on to that. Yeah, you you mentioned Vinci with Chukwu and you mentioned the other bigs. I just think the big men took advantage of this matchup. You know, they won a rebound margin by 10, you know, 44-34, but it's Arizona State. Um, so that's why it, it is a positive, and it's good that they took advantage of it, but that's what they should do, you know, and that's what Vince should do. He's done really well. He's played Arizona State twice. He had 12 points in 14 minutes the first time on 5 of 8 shooting this game, 14 points, his first career double-double, you know, great signs. But that's what you're supposed to do against Arizona State. They don't have any bigs. They don't play any bigs. They don't care to have bigs. They don't care about rebounding, honestly. They know they're going to lose rebounding margin every single game, and they don't really seem to care. Um, and, you know, USC's bigs can match up with their bigs because they can get out on Alonzo Gaffney and things like that. So, I, you know, I think they took advantage of it. So I gave that a positive. I thought the fact that they held Arizona State to less than 40% shooting, 36.8 in the first half, I thought that was a really big notable thing. Second half, again, it was back to 50%. And a lot of those is because you get wide open layups on fast breaks and stuff because of all the turnovers. But even with the 15 turnovers in the first half, 
Arizona State still only shot 36%. So, you know, there's signs that the defense can do something. There's signs. But right now we're grasping at straws at these small tidbits because there aren't the big positives. I thought my my other one um, is Bronny James. I thought he played a, you know, a very calm game despite the fact that how much, you know, how physical it was and how he did have a couple turnovers, but five assists in this one. Uh, I think he had uh, what, seven points on three of six shooting. Probably could have been a little bit more aggressive on the offensive end to try to attack a little bit more. He had five assists and four rebounds. So, you know, kind of filling up the stat sheet, and that's what you expect out of him when he plays 25 minutes. You're going to see him, you know, filling up multiple categories. So I thought it was a, a solid game for him about coming off that Arizona game where he played really well too. So, you know, I, I think that we're seeing the 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 stepping stones for him as he continues to grow and get more playing time. How about on the negative side? Got to be the 22 turnovers. I saw a stat, 15 turnovers in the first half, the most committed by a Power 5 program in a half this season. So not a record you want to have, of course. And it's just USC missing Isaiah Collier, of course, but also Boogie Ellis to keep ball handlers for him. Now, though, it is sort of game three and a half of that, and you'd want them to see some improvement, and it has sort of gone the other way. So we can talk about that a little bit, just why isn't it getting better, even though the situation is it's very tough, of course, but you'd want to see maybe a little bit of an improvement because you know that you're not going to have these guys, and that just hasn't been there. And then I go back to Kobe Johnson and Harrison Hornery. Kobe, 13 points on 17 shots. Harrison Hornery, 0 of 1, didn't score. They haven't, USC hasn't scored more than 67 points during this four game losing streak. And, and a big reason why is because when guys have been out, Kobe and Harrison, it's probably unfair to ask so much of them. But on offense, you just need a little bit more right now because you don't have your two leading scorers. I look at those two guys and they just haven't been able to get it done. Yeah, my, I'll touch on that in just a second. My negative is 27 fast break points. They couldn't handle the physicality of Arizona State and the way the rest were allowing the game to be played. Uh, it's just disappointing to watch that. Like, no one – like, start – you got to start, swing some elbows, you know. Now try not to get them up in the face. You'll get a flagrant foul then, but elbows to the ribs, those type of things when you're clearing out and taking care of the basketball and just being stronger with the basketball. You're going to get hit in the arms. You're going to get fouled, what should be considered a foul – it's not always a foul. Welcome to the Big Ten. That's where you're going. That's the type of basketball that's played over and over and over. That's what happened to them against Michigan State last year. They didn't handle the physicality there well either, where, you know, a, a slap on the arm, hand is part of the ball in the Big Ten. You know, so you get slapped in the hand, that's whatever. And, you know, you're driving, too bad. Uh, they got to get used to that. And so that's something that needs to be taken care of uh, going forward. The 15 turnovers in the first half, you just, you're not going to win any games when you turn over the ball over 15 times. Uh, so, and that, that led all those turnovers. A, a lot of those turnovers were, you know, live action turnovers. So it turned into points on the other end. You know, Arizona State in this game, they win by 15. They had 24 points off turnovers. I mean, that's 24 to nine in that category. And USC got beat. When you lose that category like that, it's hard to win any game. So that was the what that was what it was. You mentioned how they need guys to step up with these other people out. You know, when you construct a basketball roster with how many how many small the number of players there are on each team, you build it around stars, right? Basketball, NBA is a star league. Basketball is a star game. You build around your stars. USC, we have learned 
without Boogie Ellis, without uh, without uh, Isaiah Collier, those are two stars. Now, sometimes having five stars doesn't work, but you need stars and you need role players, right? People that do their jobs. USC just has a team of role players right now with no Boogie Ellis and no no Isaiah Collier, and that's where they're at. They don't have someone that can create a shot consistently. They don't, you know, they need to create for each other. And but they don't have the true ball handler that can do that. So you're throwing in Bronny James into that mix. Ten games into his career, he's not ready for that yet. You know, especially all with missing, what three months, four months, whatever it was. So the the other guys, you know, DJ Rodman, Kobe Johnson, those are defense first guys that can knock you down an open shot. Kobe Johnson's not supposed to be a creator. He's not supposed to be creating his own shot. He's a backdoor cut get you a wide open layup, you know, feed off of someone else. Those are the type of things he does really well. DJ Rodman is standing in the corner and knock down that three. The only person that really can create their shot right now is Osiah Sellers. He can knock down a shot over somebody. And maybe that's something if Boogie Ellis is not available this weekend, they need to lean on Osiah Sellers a little bit more. You know, that Colorado game. Now, when the defense was focused on him in the second half, he didn't do so much. And maybe that's something that you have to work on with this week of practice is an adjustment uh, opportunity to try to say, we don't know if we're going to have Boogie, so we're going to put more plays in for Oziah to get the ball and be the you know the primary option. But anybody else on the team, Vince, if you give him the ball, if he gets good enough positioning, can be somebody you go to for a shot. But otherwise, it's someone has to create for someone else. And there's just not the creators on this in, in this group either, because that's Isaiah Collier. That's also Boogie Oz. So you got a, a ton of role players that are ready to do their job, but they can't, they're not in those roles right now because without the stars. So I, I think that's the problem right now for USC is, is the biggest issue right now. Is just they don't have the star and everyone's now trying to play out of their role into some a different role. And it's just it's not working at all for them. So We'll see if they get Boogie Ellis back. I was told earlier this week that they're hopeful that that will happen. Uh, and, you know, still a fluid situation, but they were hopeful that he would be back for, for the game against UCLA. Obviously, for USC's sake, you would hope that that happens because UCLA's defense is really good. And they need someone that can actually be a creator and can create their own shot, especially against a, a defense like UCLA. Otherwise, this game might be in the 30s. <laughs> Okay, maybe not uh, the 30s, but maybe the maybe the low 50s, uh, maybe a 52-47 game because USC currently constructed is not a good offensive team, and UCLA is definitely not a good offensive team. So with the, the defense that te- that USC maybe could play, and the the defense that UCLA definitely does play, uh, you know, it could be a low scoring affair on Saturday. Yeah, UCLA did do better scoring early against Arizona. Um, I don't know if they've turned a corner. We'll we'll have to see. And, and Shotgun, you're right about the role players and stuff. But the, the reason I harp on Kobe and Harrison these these last two weeks, I know they're put in an almost an impossible position, but they're both guys who've been with the program now for I think three years each. And I just they're they're asked right now to do something they're not comfortable with clearly, but you just want to see a little bit more. I think development wise, like Harrison Hornery, I feel like is the exact same player he was when he first got to USC streaky shooter can maybe give you some minutes off the bench. And it's just when, when injuries happen, you want to rely on your development. And again, it's an impossible position USC's in, but now their development is on 
full display and it just doesn't really look very good. So I, I, I think that's sort of where I'm at with him, but I totally acknowledge that it's such a tough position to be in. Yeah. You would like for someone to come into the program and their shooting percentage as an outside shooter get consistently better. And that really hasn't been the case. Jonah Matthews is probably the one guy that I can think of that, you know, kind of, he, he took a jump, I believe it was sophomore to junior year and stayed pretty consistent the last couple of years. But someone like Harrison Hornery should be able to come in and play a couple minutes early and then become that guy that you can go to. But he's just been really streaking his career, and that that's kind of continued as well. Let's jump over to our Juice Juice section. Unfortunately, we only have a Jew section. Uh, you know, we got Juju, uh, Juju Watkins. Isaiah Collier Zay is unfortunately still out with the broken hand. We'll see when he starts, you know, being able to do anything uh, and can get back. Juju Watkins now 26.1 points per game, seven rebounds a game, three and a half assists, a little bit over two and a half steals, nearly two blocks per game as well. What stood out to you about Juju Watkins' performance or anything you you saw or heard this week about Juju Watkins that caught your ear or eye? Well, I was watching Sports Center and they were showing some UConn women's basketball highlights and Paige Beckers was a big part of that, obviously. And they were just talking about how during Big East play, Paige Beckers, her stats ha- have improved and, and gotten better. And, and she's become a different player now that conference play is is in full swing for UConn. And with Juju Watkins, so talented and, and so, so good, the future of women's basketball, I think the next step for her is, okay, 26.1 points per game and and all the stats are so good, but we're seeing a small regression right now in conference play. And I looked to her future as a women's basketball player. Paige Beckers has been around a few years. So this comparison almost isn't even fair. I think going forward and as USC gets better, it's going to be really important for Juju Watkins to get better as the season goes on. And right now she just is asked to do so much and she's missing the threes because I think she's so tired right now. And I'm excited to watch her progress into like a Paige Beckers, into a Caitlin Clark type of performer where the games get tougher and the performances get even better. And I, I think that's sort of the next level for her, and I'm excited to watch it unfold. I, I don't think the the comparison isn't apt. I think it just shows you the difference between a third-year player in Beckers and a first-year player in Juju Watkins. Now, Beckers obviously lost the season because of a knee injury, but uh, you see someone who's been through it has experienced it, and even I, I think partially for her, she's taking off because she's coming back from the injury, maybe a little bit slow still, uh, shaking the rust off early in the season, but now kind of taking over in Biggie's play. Juju, you know, we'll see if if she turns it on at some point. If there there's an area, um, you know, and you wonder. We have talked about how some of the players look like they have tired legs and stuff. How much of those illnesses? Have affected you. Know, Rhea Marshall didn't look like the same player uh, when she first came back from the illness. She looked much better against Colorado, I thought, than Utah, just as far as her movement and looking like she's back in, in a little bit better shape. Um, you know, just and that's the case when you miss a week of action. You know, it's, it's not like you know in baseball when you miss a week of action, it takes a little bit of time to get your arm back loose. You know, when you know, in basketball when you miss a little, it takes a little bit of time to get those lungs back acclimated to to running up and down the court. So I think that that's uh, that's something that has happened with her uh, or with with USC's players because of that that big illness spread that, is, uh, that they had in December. So 
if they get farther and farther away from that, are they ready to take off? And then how about our stunt like my daddy, Bronny James, you know, only one game. But like I said, I mentioned him in my my tri- triple-double. I thought that he played really well as far as just filling a role and doing, you know, what he could do and filling up the stat sheet in different categories. Certainly. That Arizona game, we talked about it last week, so I won't spend too much time on it, but I felt like that was really a, a nice – showing of what he can do right now he did a little bit of everything in that one against Arizona State consistent he had that one 10 second violation which you know that'll that'll happen in a road environment like that one thing that's sort of been frustrating to me shotgun with 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 Bronny I mean you go on the USC men's basketball ESPN page and you scroll down and like the third video is this video of Bronny running off the court and then hitting his head like jumping up to go into the locker room and it's like do we need to include that? Does everything this guy do have to be put under the microscope? I I, I feel bad for him, and I, I I don't know how much you watched of uh, the the Arizona game. I mean, I'm sure you watched the whole thing because we're doing this freaking podcast. But I mean, just the <laughs> just how he's covered, and I know he's LeBron's son, and I know he's one of one, so you can't even compare it to anything. I, I, the last couple of weeks, I've just left feeling bad for him. I mean, the just incessant need to pigeonhole him into the conversation like you see these graphics and it's like boogie ellis these points isaiah collier these points yeah. Bronny james good teammate like can you just kind of <laughs> let it unfold and, and then jay billis every time he touches the ball he's gonna be good he's gonna be good he's gonna be good like i i just want people to take a deep breath and just sort of let him do his thing maybe that's impossible in the age we live in and just his situation um but between the video that i mentioned and just the coverage around him on these national games it's like can we just let the kid just play basketball for a little bit do we have to have an opinion on everything no, we can't. We can't do that, Connor. That's not allowed. Uh, you, people are not allowed to come out along at their own pace. They have to be good now. They have to be good immediately. It doesn't matter if they have a heart condition. They just had open. They had heart surgery. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It matters that you come out, and we want to see big dunks right away. Uh, you, you can't pretend like you're hitting your head. Because he didn't hit his head. I don't know why everyone thought that was such a thing. Like People have never seen that before. Uh, that's that's something the people that can jump can do and even people that can't jump great like me but you still you do oh you're fake like you got hit your head uh, okay uh, but apparently no one has ever seen that we have a lot of non-athletes watching videos on espn or whatever it is uh but yeah it's it's it is a unique situation he is such a unique player in that, and he handles it so well. I give him so much credit, and that's what everyone talks about that's around him. Now, I still do wish that they would allow him to do media. Like, you know, this part of the allure and the part of the reason why everything that he does is so significant, and there has to be a story about it, and there has to be a video because we never hear from him at all. I thought uh, Luke Evans did a really nice piece on, you know, the, the kind of uh, – the the oral history of you know what happened transpired with you know his him collapsing at practice and his teammates saying yeah he got up and he was mad or I think it was Eric Mobley said that he got up and was mad that he didn't get to finish practice because he thought he was playing really well and made a couple baskets in a, in a row and he was just like gonna gonna get up and walk back uh go home and they're like no 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 the ambulance is coming for you so that one stood out to me as well um as far as what Bronny James has done this week that was a really good piece if you don't get chance check that one out in the oc register uh but yeah everything that he does there's a story about it and there's stories like that because in part because you got to talk to everyone around him because you can't actually talk to him about the the situation that happened or anything but that's the the rules that they can set because of how much attention there is Uh, but he's handled everything great 
But with that, we're going to jump into our break. And then when Connor and I return, we'll have our special guest for the week, USC assistant coach Kirk Karras, join us to discuss the Trojans. And we'll also look forward to this weekend's matchup against UCLA for the men and the women's uh, taking it off, uh, taking off against the Washington schools at home as well. I can't get these words out, Connor. Let's go to break. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can always send them in to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple-double or the basketball pod in the headline and make sure it gets directed to Connor and I. We now welcome in this week's guest, USC men's basketball assistant coach, Kurt Karras. Now, Kurt has been at USC for nine years now, I believe it is. Woo! Starting first as a walk-on transfer from Chicago State, an energy guy on the bench going crazy over there whenever Benny Boatwright would knock down a three. Then he was a graduate assistant for a couple years. He spent three years as the director of scouting, and now this year has been elevated to assistant coach, making the big bucks now, I think I think is what it is. Kurt, thanks for taking the time to join us. No, thank you for having me excited well first man I, I gotta go we've gotta go all the way back to the beginning what went the decision to come to usc you're you're at chicago state you're you know you're from the chicago area you're getting some playing time there you come to to usc as a walk-on what what went into that decision and you know what's kind of kept you around for so long now you know i just basketball has always been my passion and coming out when i was leaving chicago state it was going to be Either I was going to go to Illinois, I got into Illinois, and I was just going to go to Illinois. My brother went there, was just going to kind of be a student. And uh, I got in contact with Coach Enfield, and I sent him my tapes, and I was like, I'll for a walk on. Like, I love basketball, don't want to really leave it yet. And uh, he had me out on a visit, and I came out on a visit out here, and I was just like, how do I not come to this place and be here and play basketball in the Pac-12? And and it kind of was the rest was history, and he liked what he he liked the tapes, and and he uh, trusted me, and and went out here, and then kind of rest is history from there. So I've kind of just stuck around ever since, and I think I've been hiding from the Chicago weather, and I think that's another thing that's kind of played in play a big uh, factor into it. So, but it's, it's been it's worked out for me. Sorry. As as someone in New Jersey who uh, just had the the snow melt today after a full week of it being out here with ice and snow, I'm I'm, I'm missing uh, L.A. and the weather over there. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, I, I I feel you on that. My my mom's been sending me videos. It's the negatives and it's snowing and the ice and she can't even take her dog out on a walk and you know the whole thing. So it, I've, I've 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 been feeling it from afar, but I've I've been liking the weather here, even though it's been a little bit rainy. Hey Kurt, I'm curious, how do you parlay? becoming a coach after being a player like when you were first recruited from Chicago State I'm sure you just were looking for a spot but when did you start talking to coach Enfield and the other coaches like hey maybe when I'm done playing can I help you guys as a coach as a director of scouting just take me through that process you know and that's was one of the biggest things when I came here is like I got close you know with Cap and and Sweats and uh, Marty Bahar and so like those guys were just kind of like mentors and became friends and like the more I hung out with them and the more I saw like how they, their approach, their professional approach and how they got to be around basketball and, and be around that all day. And, you know, like they come into work and works work. Right. But it, you know, they're happy and it's exciting. And like, they kind of, I kind of gravitated towards that. And like, I knew, I knew I had nothing after basketball, but for in terms of playing, um, you know, I could have tried to go and play in like Guatemala or something, you know, like <laughs> whatever, 
but like for me, it was, I just want to be around basketball and it's truly my passion. And so by my second year, I kind of started talking here. I started talking to cap and I wanted to coach his office most like as much as I could and just been like, Hey, I want to be a graduate assistant. I know that's the next step to being to, uh, in part of becoming who I wanted to be as a coach. And then some things fell into place and, you know, Martin Bahar took another job and then I kind of got, uh, lucky in my role and I've kind of excelled and tried to make myself uh, uh, irreplaceable. And, you know, that's kind of been my approach on what I've been doing is in terms of trying to jump the ladder and, and all that. So it's been, uh, but it definitely, when I, when I saw how our, our staff kind of approaches and, and how they're such a close knit family, and that's kind of been coach Enfield's um, thing here is he's got a it's a close circle and you know he has good retention with his staff and, and I think that's been like a and I, I saw that and I kind of gravitated towards it yeah so you're making the transition from player to coach what was the hardest step along the way um when you make that and, and you know sticking around USC to do it you know the hardest step for me was my my like so I grew up with Nick Rakosovic um like he I knew him since he was uh I mean, he was always tall but I knew him since he was middle school and all that. So I grew up with him. So the hardest thing was kind of being like, you know, having to be the hard ass on him <laughs> and like, you know, going from friend to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a professional name for myself now. So like I can, you know, like I'm on the different side of this and I'm seeing the different side and, you know, as players, you're like, you, 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 uh, complain and all that. And you go on the coaching side, you see what, what the players are doing. I go, like, oh, then I wonder why they're complaining and all that, you know, like, so it's kind of like you, you kind of, make it, it makes sense but like i think that was the hardest is like i play i was a player and a lot of these guys were my friends and then it turned into like i had to be a professional and people start you know and, and that's kind of where kind of where do i draw the line and and you know when i'm hanging out with these guys or whatever so that's kind of where it was the hardest for me what's been the biggest change now that you're an assistant coach based on what you're doing in the past as a grad assistant and then director mm -hmm. of scout how's your role changed now as a full-time assistant i can get on the I can get on the floor with the guys, which like I love. And that's like kind of one of my favorite things to do is, you know, I, I, that's what I did. You know, like I, I trained and I tried to be the best player I could be. And that's kind of like what I enjoy to do is, is player develop and try and get these guys better. And, you know, I sit here and I watch film, a lot of film. So being able to apply that on the court and, you know, it, it, with the guys is, has been nice. And like, I could watch film with them and I could coach is what I was, is, is the biggest transition is now I could, uh, break up time in my schedule, get them on the court, um, film study and all that type of stuff. So that's been like the biggest, uh, biggest, ch biggest change in what I do, but I mean, still I'm doing the same stuff. I'm trying to try to try to get my foot in everything and, and learn as much as I can while I'm, while I'm still here. So. One of the things that I've noticed the the practices that I've observed and stuff with Andy is that he, he can be very hands-off as far as one practice may be Cap's practice, one practice mm -hmm. may be Jay Morris's practice, one practice may be E. Mobley's. Um, you know, mm -hmm. have, have you gotten your opportunity where you kind of run yeah. the practice? Yeah, so I've, I've had it and I've had a couple scouts this year. Andy, uh, Coach Enfield has given me a couple scouts and I've been able to, you know, have my, my two cents in there. And a lot of what we do is like I, I was coming from a meeting with – we're, we're uh, going over what we need to do for practice today. And so like, that's where it kind of all goes into it. We talk about it, what we really want to do and he'll give us segments and that's kind of, so I've, I've had my, my segments and it's been, uh, it's been fun. You know, it's, it's, it's like a, one of those things, it's like the public speaking, but you gotta, you know, you gotta get over that hump and it's, it's, uh, it's good though. It's fun. It's fun. You guys have UCLA on Saturday. 
what were your early impressions of the Crosstown showdown and how's the rivalry changed over the last few years? The rivalry's there. I mean, like it's it's always competitive. I mean, last year we we had two competitive games. Boogie had the 27 point half or in the second half explosion. Um, there we were horrible in the first half. We were just watching the game. The second half, we we hunkered down. I think we held them like 14 points or something in the half or something like that. So and we had a chance to win. So it, it always comes down to the tougher team. Um, UCLA is UCLA. McCrone is a great coach. Great coach. Yeah, um, they're you know they're not going to turn the ball over. They're going to defend their ass off. Um, so and that's something that going into it, and we obviously turnovers is our biggest thing right now, and it's that's why we've been kind of. Um, have been inconsistent because our turnovers. So that's kind of just what we're trying to focus on and, and really go into this game and, and maybe hopefully this j- jumps, uh, jumpstart something for us going forward. And, you know, we have three home games coming up and, and this crosstown rivalry is a, is a great one to get it started. So being an outsider coming from Chicago, what was kind of your first uh, impressions uh, of the, the rivalry? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, like it's, it's, it's electric, but like, honestly, every college game, especially when you go on the road and like when you go to Arizona, you know, you get that feel, you always get that feel, but like in this game, you, you know, you, you could feel it. The fans are, you know, more into it. And, uh, it just is, it's, it's truly electric. And you like get in there and like, like I was, I was talking to my wife yesterday and I was just like, well, what's, what's something that like makes you like, instantly happy and i was like you know right before the tip off and like the lights are out and like everyone's screaming yeah like even on the road or home it's like that's just like wow like this is so cool like look where i am and like that's kind of how i feel like every ucla game it's like wow like look where i am and just like kind of be grateful and be be excited to be in this moment so do you have a favorite rivalry memory is it boogie ellis last year is it something else boogie as a coach definitely boogie going off for 27 and a half was freaking awesome um but there's been some like Elijah Stewart's dunk um, in front of our bench when they had, they had Lonzo Ball and all those guys. He came from the corner. I thought that was an awesome one. Um, Chemezi's had some unbelievable dunks. So like those are just things I could think of in the past. Um, but I mean, just just like playing at Poly for the first time was really cool. You know, like so much history there, and so all that stuff goes into play. And I just think there's not one specific memory. I just think it's been uh, it's been great, and 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 it's been competitive. And that's I think is the biggest thing. Is you know, like these since Mick and some, since uh, Mick Cronin's come and Andy's been here, it's been very competitive. And luckily, we've been on the uh, we we got a little bit more wins than than him or in the last couple of games. So that's, so hopefully we can keep that going. So does anything change from the player or coach perspective going into a UCLA matchup? And especially when you have a full week of prep with only one game during it with the PAC 12 schedule, the way it is normally, you know, you have two and you basically have uh, two practices or maybe three yep. practices before you play this, this week though, there's a lot more anticipation uh, because of this rivalry game, but also there's more time as a coach and a player to, to get ready for it. Does anything change just because of that aspect of it? It's nice for us to focus on ourselves for, we, you know, that, that lets us focus on ourselves for a couple of days rather than getting right into, Hey, this is UCLA's personnel. This is UCLA, what they do. This is how that, you know, instead of like, we're going to, we're focusing on ourselves, trying to get our offense, right. Trying to get our defense, right. And then we can go into making sure that we're guarding their actions and, and really making a game plan and putting that into place. So I think it just more, it, it helps you set up um, yourselves first and then we can go from there. So I think that's kind of how we've taken the preparation for it. Cause we need a couple, you know, we've been on the road and, and, uh, 
we just needed time to focus on ourselves and try and really, really, uh, you know, get healthy. That's the other thing. So that's kind of helped us have this week preparation. So we're trying to get us, get a lot of these guys healthy and that's been a problem for us. And so we're just really using this time to, to take advantage of that. USC signed a, a nice three-man class looking at the recruiting rankings, Trent Perry, McDonald's all American, sort of the yep. headline there. Could you give us just a couple sentences on each kid and what they're going to bring to the program next season? Yeah, we're looking we're looking forward to all of them, and they're all you know. Uh, uh, Liam's tough as shit. Um, uh, Brody's tough as shit, and uh, Trent has got uh, maximum upside. You know, and he's 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 tough and heady on both sides of the ball. Um, Liam could score it at a high level, and Brody, you're really gonna we're gonna really be able to use them, and and they're winners. So that's the other thing is that we're going to try and move forward with that. And, and, and we're really excited to have them on campus and, and get them going here. So we're really excited about that. Those, those three, and we're just going to keep building on it. So, and that's, uh, that's what we're going to have to do. Now as director of scouting, I know you you're focusing on opponents and stuff, but do you also do scouting for the recruiting side of it? How, how does that kind of work? Do you help out at all in that when you were in that position versus now when you're as an assistant? Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I still do the same. And I'm, you know, like if coach wants to go over, like I'll, I'll break, like I'll, I'll find the games, break down the games, and we'll sit down and we'll watch. Uh, let's say like Trent Perry's uh, every ball screen that he came off of, you know, certain things like that, and we'll be like, okay, what is he good? Where is he good here? And that's just an example. I mean, that's that's what we, that's kind of like where I touch on it, and I'll try and get in touch with some of the recruits if I can, and you know, I always got to make sure that the compliance is is set in stone and all that, but, you know, so that's, that's, so I'm trying to, uh, that's like the next step of what I want to do and make sure that I'm, I'm touching on that. But yeah, I, I I'll, I'll break down as much film as I can on the guys that we can find a synergy does a great job with having it for you. And so we'll just sit in there and, and see what, you know, like if we can't go see him because during the season, it's hard. So like we could pull up games and that's kind of where we watch them and, and figure out a lot of the things that we, uh, we like and maybe don't like and all that stuff. So. You could probably spend an hour on this, but I'm curious about the things you guys like versus what you don't like. What does a Andy Enfield recruit look like? Is it the winning? Is it the toughness? Are those the must-haves? Just take me through what you guys like and what you guys don't like when evaluating a prospect. Yeah, I mean, winning and, and toughness. Toughness is one of the biggest things for us. Um, and like we just want guys that want to win and want to play for USC, and, and especially in the, the nature of what college basketball it is and. And I think we have, that's what's so great about this uh, class that we're, we're bringing in is that really they, they want to come play for USC and they're tough. They're heady on both sides of the ball. Um, and I think that's what the coach looks like, looks for. And he likes it. Coach likes a uh, length. So, I mean, that they all have it and we have, we could extend the floor with a bunch of them. And, uh, and I think that's his main focus. And then, families and all and everything else goes into play. And I think that's a big portion of what, um, why we've been successful with the recruits that we've had is we, we really do a, a good uh, in-depth dive with like families and all that. And I think that's played to our uh, benefit. Obviously next year, you guys are moving to the big 10 conference. Was there, you know, was there a coach's meeting at some point and said, you know, we're looking at recruits, Maybe we need to change, you know, maybe we adapt a little bit to what we may see more in the Big Ten. Was was there any things that maybe you guys look for a little bit more, a little bit less when you go to the Big Ten versus, you know, the Pac-12 that you guys have been playing in? Yeah, I think it's it's obviously we've, we've talked about it, and I, I don't think we're going to change 
exactly like how we recruit, you know, we recruited guys and we, we like to play fast and we like to do certain things. And, and uh, I think one of the things we talked about today is like, we might need one big brute in there, you know, that, you know, like the, they always think, you know, they got the Zach Eadies and the big dudes in the middle. So like we might need a, might need something, something inside that, uh, that going forward or whatever, but like, it's, you know, we, we're going to recruit how we recruit and how Andy likes to build his roster. And, and that's how we're going to move forward. And if something comes, something comes from that, we'll, uh, We'll obviously bite on it, but uh, I think we're just we're gonna. We've talked about it, but I think we're just kind of gonna recruit how a uh, coach has done in the past, and, and that's what we're gonna stick with. So, did you have a favorite Big Ten team growing up? Was it Illinois? I loved Illinois. Yeah, it was like my dream. Like I, I played there actually at Chicago State um, my first year. I think my first year. That was really cool because both my brothers went there. I wanted to go there, um, so it was definitely like a really cool to, to go there, but Illinois was definitely my, uh, my dream school. Any place that you're really excited to play in that you, you haven't got a chance to, uh, to be in the full in environment I'm, yet. I would like Michigan state. I'm excited to go to, I'm like, honestly, every single, like you name every single one. They're all awesome. Um, Northwestern just cause my family's still there. So like, I'm like excited to go there and be able to have them all come. Um, they'll probably come to the Illinois game too, but so it's just nice that I'm going back Midwest and, you know, I get to stay there for the the uh, perfect amount of time. So I get to, you know, you get to feel the weather for a second and then get out of there. And then, so I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to go back and, and, you know, it's um, be fun to, you know, and scout other teams and do all that. So it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Last thing for me, I you probably aren't at liberty to say, but how's Boogie progressing? I know you won't say if he's available or not, but is he improving? It's, he's, he's improving every day and we're taking it day by day. And, um, um, he's, uh, he's, he's looking better and better and we're, uh, we're excited. And so moving forward, he's just going to keep, keep doing the necessary stuff he needs to do and hope he can be on the, on the court on, on Saturday. Yeah. We haven't talked much about this team. Obviously you mentioned they very inconsistent. What's the biggest thing this team needs to do along with getting healthy. And that's, that's easy cop out. So we're not gonna let you have that one. Along with getting healthy, what does this team need to do to be able to play to its full potential down the stretch? Because right now we all look at it and say at eight and eleven, you're going to have to win the Pac-12 tournament to to make a make an opportunity to get yourself into March. Um, so, what do you have to do to be able to play be, be be playing your best when you get to Vegas to be able to do that? I think turnovers is a big thing. Uh, I thought we've actually been defending better. Um, as of late, we've been trying to uh, change our defenses up a little bit, um, just to kind of keep people on their heels and, and keep our guys out of foul, especially with the injuries, keep our guys out of foul trouble and all that. But I think turnovers has become, that's been like the biggest thing where, you know, we, we held, uh, Arizona state, I think to like 37% shooting in the first half, I think 40% overall, but it's hard to, um, have a set defense when you have a bunch of live ball turnovers. So I think that's where we kind of are getting, killed um so i think that's been a, we just need to make that a point of emphasis and then keep playing together keep trying to share the ball and then defensively we just gotta clean all that up um and that's that's worth the changing defenses for and and we're just you know and, and we just got to put together two we haven't put together two, two halves most of this year so like that's the other thing is just trying to keep it consistent and trying to keep it you know if we played well in the first half play like trying to keep that 40 minutes and and Obviously, there's going to be ups and downs and ebbs and flows in that, but we just got to stay focused on on the, on the outcome. 
no better time to do that than against your rivals. You guys will get a chance against UCLA this week. Kurt, thanks for taking the time to join us on on the Triple Double Podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks to Kurt for jumping on with us. We really appreciate his time and getting to see him move up the ranks. But, Connor, you know, you're you're new. It's, I feel like I've grown up with Kurt. This is a little bit different for you. What stood out to you from the interview? Well, you just got to respect a guy who literally started from the bottom as a preferred walk-on and made his intentions clear to the staff. Hey, I know my playing future, like he said, it might be in Guatemala or I could become <laughs> a coach. And he decided to become a coach. And you, you got to respect the grind, the hustle. It's impressive. In nine years, that might seem like a long time to some people, but it's tough going from that walk on to a full-time assistant coach. So, so credit to Kurt for making that jump and I'm happy for him because uh, with USC switching over to the big 10, he'll be able to get back home for a couple games. It sounds like, and uh, it just seems like a better position for him and uh, getting some family time, which I know when USC played uh, Notre Dame in football, I'm from the East coast, but my family came out to Chicago and we had a couple nice nights and then they went to the game. So it's nice when you can combine family with work and uh, I'm excited for Kurt in that regard too. Yeah, as soon as I get a family, I'm going to do that. Uh, you know, none of my family uh, recognizes that I'm a, still a part of the family, I think is what it is. No, I'm just kidding. No, it was, it's great to hear from Kurt. You know, like I said, I feel like I've grown up with him a little bit because literally when he arrived at USC as a walk-on, he's a guy going crazy. I've got some photos of him just, you know, going crazy after baskets and stuff with these these crazy faces and stuff. Um, and to, I, I thought it was very interesting hearing him talk about the transition. And that's always interesting uh, to me. You know, do you go and if you go somewhere else, hey, you're the new guy, you're just a grad assistant. But when you are, you know, you were teammates with these guys last year and now suddenly you're in a position of a little bit more power. How do you kind of handle it? And especially with Nick uh, Rakosevich, because he was such a character on his own. And I knew those guys, you know, uh, were childhood friends, basically, and known each other in the Chicago area. So that was really interesting to see or uh, interesting to hear as well from him. But we look forward to to seeing Kurt's career continue to, to grow in the future. And it's awesome that he gets a chance to be an assistant coach now because the NCAA allowed both in, in basketball and baseball and a, a couple other sports, they allowed an extra assistant, you know, if teams wanted to fund that position. So now he actually gets to be on the court, you know, like football, I think it was about, about a decade ago, they went from nine on-field assistants to a 10, you know, that one extra can be the difference, maybe not for in the overall scheme of a program, but for someone's career, that could be a huge difference. Uh, so more opportunities for coaches out there is great to see. Um, but let's jump into our normal segments as we go forward. Where do they stand right now? USC, the women and men. The women, like we said earlier, slide from number six after dropping two games to number 11. So they fall out of the top 10. But it's the Pac-12. They'll get plenty of opportunities to move their way right back into it with some more top 25 matchups coming up in a couple of weeks. They're 15th in the net, which is always an important metric to look at as well. Three and three in the Pac-12, tied for fourth like we talked about, and we're going to get into it in a little bit, but a nice landing spot for them now at home against the two Washington schools. And then just looking at some of the statistics, it's more of the same. USC does a nice job not turning the ball over, 30th nationally in assist to turnover rate. Uh, this is on the women's side, of course, because on the men's it's a little bit of a different story. Uh, 17th fewest in the country in turnovers per game at 12.7. They shoot the three really well at 36.2%, which is 30th. Um, 318th in bench points. That's sort of the one big problem for them, but – you know, depth maybe can be overrated sometimes. I've been 
looking back at uh, those Chino Hills, Lonzo Ball teams, that that high school basketball team that went 35-0, and 0 and they had no depth, and it worked out for them. So uh, maybe it'll work out for USC. But it's, a, it's more of the same for them, Shotgun. They have a clear identity. Shoot the three well. Don't turn the ball over. Play good defense. It's worked well for them so far. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. You mentioned how they're 17th in the nation in fewest turnovers. They have 12.7. The men are 313th in the nation in turnovers. They have 13.5, which shows you there's more turnovers in the women's game than the men's game. That's why there's not as big of a discrepancy there. But, you know, they're the you got to take care of the ball, and the women are doing it better than the men. And so that's one of the big reasons if the men take care of the ball, just like uh, uh, Kirk Harris told us, then, you know, they can do a lot more when you don't give the ball away. When you get a shot off, there's much better chance to score points than if you give the ball to the other team. I don't know if they have fully recognized that yet, but that's something definitely there. What about the men? Where are they at right now as they're closing in on being in dead last in the Pac-12? Yeah. Last week when we, talked about the men after that Arizona loss they were 85th in the net and now they're 89th so losing to Arizona State dropped them four spots unfortunately 11th out of 12 like you said in the Pac-12 at two and six and the three-point defense not very good 300th nationally 35.7 percent they've improved with the rebounding margin thanks to playing ASU so now (laughs) only 195th there uh, but 264th in scoring defense, giving up just over 75 points a game. The turnovers, like you said, 313th in the country with 13 and a half. They have their obvious issues, Shotgun. It's the defense, the turnovers, and the rebounding. Three pretty big parts of basketball. So we'll see if they can improve on it this weekend against UCLA. Well, their defense of numbers should improve a little bit against UCLA. If they don't, that tells you even more about USC because UCLA has just struggled offensively. Now, they've been a little bit better in the last uh, couple weeks, as you mentioned, Um, but they're going to play UCLA on Saturday. The game is on ESPN2 at 5 p.m. Pacific time. The Bruins are also 8-11. However, they're doing they're one game better in the Pac-12, so they're tied for fifth, whereas USC at two and six is eleventh. So one win in the Pac-12 can jump you up the standings. And it doesn't matter whether you're two and five or three and six or whatever it may be when in the final standings, you know, what is one game at? Well, it matters because of matchups when you get to Vegas. So you got to start m- crawling your way up the standings because if UCLA is three and five and they're tied for fifth. That means they're one spot away from being in fourth, which is a buy on the first day. So if USC can win a couple of games, that's something you want to, to, to scratch and claw for, try to get up to get as far uh, higher seed as you can to play easier teams, of course, but also maybe get into a buy. And it's not out of the realm of possibility because there's still so many Pac-12 games going remaining if USC can find some consistency and start Start like I said, crawling their way up a little bit. You know, if they play 500 ball the rest of the way, then they have a, an opportunity to climb up some spots rather than being 11th, where you would play the sixth seed on day one of the tournament. So uh, we'll see what they can do there. But it starts against UCLA on Saturday. What stands out to you about this matchup? Well, UCLA is playing much better than they had been. They had that ugly, ugly loss on the road against Utah. Ooh. That was their rock bottom moment. And they probably should have beaten Arizona. Is that maybe I'm taking too much liberty there, but they played really well against Arizona. And that was a game in the second half. It was one of those where, okay, UCLA, they were up double digits in the first half. And then to start the second half, 
and you were just wondering when is Arizona going to make its move? And then eventually they do and they win. McCrone not happy with the officiating at the end of the game. But I, I just thought Arizona, I, I think they're pretty clearly, even though they're flawed, the best team in the Pac-12. And the fact that UCLA was able to compete with them on the road showed me something. So I just think they're playing better basketball right now. Mm -hmm. They haven't had to deal with any injuries like USC has. So it's it just Mick Cronin trying to get through to his team what they need to do to, to get better. But the stat that just tells you all you need to know, they're 41st in field goal percentage defense, giving up 40.2% uh, per game, and then 302nd in field goal percentage on offense, shooting 41.9%. So they play defense really well. They don't play offense that well, although they've taken some steps forward. I think it's going to be a tougher game for USC than maybe people anticipated a couple of weeks ago when UCLA was really in their slide. I don't think it's a great matchup for them, but UCLA, they're so inconsistent on offense and USC playing at home, they certainly have a chance. Yeah. And coming into this year, when you see the recruiting class that UCLA puts together and you have multiple seven footers, they could play together. Uh, they've tried the big lineup. It hasn't really worked for them. It's been best. Sebastian Mack, their you know, freshman has been one of the better freshmen in the conference. When, when he's their main scoring threat, Dylan Andrews went through a long shooting slump, though I really like him. You know, he was a guy coming out of when he was at Windward, I really liked. Uh, he was teammates with Kajani Wright when they, I think they were sophomores and then they split up uh, later in their high school careers. But um, he's a kid that if he runs the offense pretty efficiently, then the offense is much more smooth. When he was struggling to shoot, they tried some other guys and it was not pretty. So, you know, th they're a team that still has potential. And you see, that there's pieces there, but they haven't. They definitely have not put it together. Uh, Adem Bona is, is has come on a little bit the last couple of games as well, and I think he's a big key for them because he can give them that low in, uh, that low scoring threat. Um, and against USC, you know, he was able to have some success last year, and I think he can have success again against the front line if they have. But you know, if they can slow him down, I think that you know definitely helps out there uh makes the the UCLA offense much more one dimensional and helps out their chances a lot more so i think that that would be the key to me is slowing him down I, that's who i would focus my attention on if i was uh doing the defensive scout for for USC against UCLA yeah certainly i i, I agree with you there we've seen talented big men especially in that Washington state game sort of have their way mm -hmm. with USC on the interior so then bona for my money he's probably the best big in the conference, is that a stretch to say? I, now I'm going through all the teams in my head, but I, I think when he's at his best, his peak is better than everyone else's peak. I mean, Umar Balo is pretty consistent. I mean, the free throw shooting is kills you, but you know he's just, he's been so consistent for them. He's not a throw it in and you're going to score a bunch of points. But um, off the top of my head, there's you know there's other guys that uh, I think I would probably take. Uh, Infante Dali at Oregon. I think he's probably yeah, up there. He's healthy. Yeah. yeah, if he's healthy. And he came back a couple games ago, and then they still lost. So who knows? This That's why the Pac-12 is up in the air. Um, and you, Arizona is a pretty heavy favorite to win the conference right now, especially with Oregon losing. I think it was to Utah, and then Utah got beat the next day by Washington State or something like that or a couple days later. So everyone's beating everyone. And like we said, USC's one game behind UCLA – and it's the difference between tied for fifth and being in 11th. So if you win a couple games, suddenly you can climb those rankings. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, I got to ask you, how do you feel about Mick Cronin's tactics? Because everyone was, was, was crapping on him after he, the things he said, one, one, one not speaking to the media and sitting as assistant coach and saying, he's going to be in there for a long time. So he doesn't want to keep you guys waiting the game before that basically saying, 
I'm I'm teaching my players aren't learning is basically the you know the sentiment that he gave. They're not learning fast enough, so I can't make adjustments in in game or anything. But he's been, he's very hard. This is the way he coaches. He's very hard on his players. But we're seeing them start to make improvements right now. So how do you feel about the coaching style of Mick Cronin and how he's done it so far this season with not having success early and starting to see a little bit better results the last few games? I didn't like him not talking to the media, but I've always liked Mick Cronin, and I think he certainly has some flaws. I mean, you look at a guy like Peyton Watson who barely played at UCLA as a freshman when everyone was like, this guy's going to be in the NBA. He's the next big thing. He, you know, He's a guy who has a lot of talent. And because he wasn't quite ready yet and he couldn't help Mick Cronin at the time he was at UCLA, he didn't play very much. And then now he's in the uh, rotation with the Denver Nuggets. So I I just think it's fascinating. Mick Cronin, he obviously knows what it takes to to win big games and, and his track record speaks for itself. People don't like the antics. People don't like how he is quick to blame everyone but himself a lot of the time. And I, and I understand it, but for me, shotgun, he's like the last great hard nose a hole basketball coach that's <laughs> that's sort of left. He's you know a different from a different generation, it seems like. And I know he can be mean, and and maybe this generation of player, he, he's certainly not for everyone. But I, but I respect it, and and I and I do like how he coaches. And I, I think it would be different if he didn't have a Final Four to to lean on, and, and just what he was able to do at Cincinnati. I mean, he's made the tournament. Every single year, I, th- I think he's one of like three coaches who's who's made it the last 12 years or something like that. He, he's part of some really great group of coaches who, who consistently make the tournament. It, it works what he does. And even though this season hasn't worked according to plan so far, we're seeing them adjust. And I I, I, I would buy stock in, in UCLA right now. I, I really do like him. And if, if I had a son and he was a big time college basketball recruit, I'd want him to play for a Mick Cronin. I don't know if I'd want him to play for Mick Cronin because then he'd be wearing all that baby blue, and I don't know how I feel about that um, as someone who went to USC. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the hard-nosed coaching, um, and I like the fact that he gives plenty of, of interesting quotes. I won't say if they're good or bad, but they're very interesting. Uh, he's very quotable, so it makes it fun for us in that regard. He, he it is an old-school style, and it works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. And, you know, if you can't break through to someone like Peyton Watson, do you still give him his opportunity or do you stick to your guns and say, you got to play defense, you got to do this. And that's, that's kind of the, the, the interesting crossroads you run into as a coach. Uh, so uh, it, it's interesting the way the dichotomy between him and Andy Enfield and how they kind of go about it. Andy will still scream and yell too as, as well, but uh, is not quite as, as virulent as, uh, as Mick Cronin is, especially in the press conferences and whatnot. So that'll be a fun matchup because neither team is great. Neither team is even good. I would say, <laughs> but they're still on the same level. So that means it could be very – it might be sloppy. There might be some ugliness in it, but it might be a one-bucket game at the end, and we might see a buzzer beater. And what more do you want from a rivalry than a buzzer beater? Let's move over to the women's side. The women will play Washington State at 7 p.m. at home at the Galen Center. Um, uh, that game will be on Pac-12 Washington. I don't. They can you put these games on Pac-12 Los Angeles? What's what's going on here? I, I know you, I, I I get Pac-12 Network, Pac-12 Los Angeles, but I don't get Pac-12 Mountain or Pac-12 Washington, and I'm. I I avoided all this Pac-12 crap for so long, and now I'm getting. I, I moved, and for whatever reason, I'm still in 
uh, LA, obviously, but just moving from Santa Monica up to studio city, it changed my whole cable. And now I can't watch some of these games and I'm not happy. You got to get the PAC 12 now app uh, on your phone and then you can, you can stream it or cast it to your TV. That's what I have to do. It's, it's a very complicated system. Well, thank you very much. Pac-12 network for all that, but they'll play Washington state at 7 PM on Friday. They'll play Washington at Sunday at noon. Both those games on PAC-12 Washington, Washington state is the team that's a little bit better here. They're 14 and five. They're three and three in conference tied for fourth. Uh, Washington is 12 and five, two and four in conference. Uh, what stands out about either one of these teams? I haven't got a chance to watch either of these teams. I've watched the t- all the top 25 women's teams, but I haven't watched either one of the, the Washington teams somehow. I think it's two winnable games for, for USC. I agree with you. Washington State is a little bit better than Washington, even though they've split their two Pac-12 games. I'm going to butcher her name, but Washington State has a talented center, Bella Marekatete, who averages 13.7 points per game and seven rebounds per game. And to me, she sort of reminds me of the Oregon State big. It's 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 a player who's talented, who is going to have a really strong uh, just track record and, and should have a good game. But can you can you limit the the, the team's best uh, interior player? And I, I thought USC did a nice job of that against Oregon State. And I feel like they can follow a similar blueprint against Washington State. You, you slow her down, you probably win the game. And, and this is a a, a big that. Maybe the USC can handle a little bit better. She's only 6'3". Um, she doesn't have the wide body, uh, but she moves pretty well. So, Rhea Mar- you know, similar body type as Rhea Marshall, uh, more athletic than you know, some of the other bigs in the Pac-12. So, it'll be an interesting matchup to see how USC handles that. You know, Clarice Akinwafu has done a really good job defensively against some of the other, the, you know, the, the big girls in the in the conference. So, is this just a Rhea Marshall or – can Akinwafu hang with her, you know, as she, you know, she gets on the perimeter at all. Um, we'll, we'll see how that kind of matchup goes. What about Washington? Anything stand out about the Huskies coming down to play USC on Sunday? Sorry, I got a phone call there. I don't know who's calling me during the podcast. That's Who? not good. What a, don't they know? Come on. Triple double is recording. Come on. Seriously. I should have been on do not disturb. That's on me. Washington. Led by guard Ella Dean, 13.5 points per game, 5.7 rebounds per game. I, I just think shotgun in, in the Pac-12 this year, they're the haves and the have-nots. Washington State is still sort of fighting to be one of the haves. I, I just don't see Washington as as one of the haves, and I, I see USC, of course, being one of the haves. It's, it's a game they got to win, win at all costs, bounce back on offense. Washington just – one of the teams that isn't quite as talented this year, and, and you got to make them pay. This is a game at home you can't lose. Yeah, they don't have a Kelsey Plum on the on the roster anymore. Uh, this is Ella Dean. I, I I will say I forever you know her first two years on campus. I thought it was Ella Dean, not L Ladeen. Uh, so <laughs> I had her name wrong because I'd hear it on Pac-12 Network when they're you know in the, watching the highlight show and whatnot, and I was like, that's a really weird uh, uh, spelling. Uh, but then I eventually figured out. When, when I saw it. But that's who the women of Troy will match up with, try to get back on track in this game, uh, the, you know, facing or in this weekend after a couple of tough losses on the road. Can you bounce back? That's a big thing we want to see is, you know, how do they bounce back? How do they look? Can they play clean basketball? Um, you know, when, when they lost to UCLA the first game, they came back and they won against Oregon State and Oregon, but I didn't think it was was necessarily crisp in, in the way that they played. And then the next week against or UCLA again, I thought they played much better. Can they, you know, bounce back from these two losses to Utah and Colorado 
quicker than they did the first loss to UCLA. That's something I'll be looking for this weekend. They could still probably win without playing great, but I would like to see them show, you know, that, that um, the resiliency to be able to bounce back a little bit quicker. Yeah, to- totally agree with that. You can win, but style points are going to be important this weekend. And I-, I totally agree with what you said there. Oregon and Oregon State, it didn't really look great in some of the, especially the Oregon State game. USC gave uh, the Beavers a bunch of chances at the end of that one. They still came away with a victory. Can you overcome this bad road trip, win two games convincingly, and sort of get your season back on track? That's what I'll be looking for. And you know, we, if you guys send us in questions, you can always send us in questions, comments, your feedback at podcast.uspfootball.com. I mentioned that. You can also tweet at us and let us know that it's for the podcast. And since I've gotten this question over and over and over throughout the last couple of weeks, and also it's popped up on our message boards all the time, I'm just going to condense everyone's question into one. Everyone wants to know, when are they going to fire Andy Enfield? Are they firing Andy Enfield? Andy Enfield's got to go right now. Connor, should Andy is Andy Enfield on the hot seat? And what would you do in this situation if you're Jen Cohen, first year athletic director? You're taking over, you know, coming in. Basketball program has been very successful. A ton of expectations for this season, and it just has not happened. Now there are reasons why it has not happened, but. It has been a very bad year compared to the expectations. Maybe those expectations were too much. I don't know. I think that we're we're still spot on if everyone's healthy and uh, hearts hearts are healthy and all that type of stuff. But instead, USC's eight and eleven. Are they going to fire Andy Enfield? What would you do if you're Jim Cohen? I would not fire him. I mean, it's USC basketball getting into the NCAA tournament like they've done the last, what is it, three years in a row now? Please correct me if I'm wrong, but the two one and duns, and then I think before that was was the Elite Eight. Like, that's what you want. You just got to get into the tournament every year. That should be the ceiling. And the fact that this season, it hasn't gone according to plan. Are you going to make a guy lose his job because of one bad year? I think if, if you're USC, the goal should be get into the tournament every year, and whatever happens after that is gravy. Maybe some fans won't want to hear that, but – I just think it's different. It's not like the football program where people are desperate to get into the college football playoff and there's just more money there and you got to win at the highest level. That's what it's all about. I I just think it's different set of standards for USC men's basketball. I think Andy Enfield has done a nice job of, um, you know, adhering to those standards. And if next year is as bad as this year, then I think we can have that conversation. But I, I think Andy Enfield, the guy who came in when USC was terrible and he's built them into a team that makes the tournament pretty consistently to fire him after one bad season. I don't agree with that. I know fans aren't happy because he struggled to really get them over the hump that, that sort of next level, which is consistent sweet 16s and being at the top of leagues. I I understand it, but I I think for what he's been asked to do, I think he's done a nice job and I, I think pulling the trigger on him after this season is too quick. So you were, uh, uh, if I'm getting you right, you're saying if this was a marquee program, if this was UCLA basketball, then this might be a fireable offense. But because USC basketball is not the preemptive program, does not have the same support as a, a school like UCLA or another blue blood um, or a program like USC football, then you don't believe it's the the right chance. Even if it was a, a, a UCLA, it, it, it all depends on just the situation. I mean, he inherited – a team that forget the history just that wasn't very good. And people would kill when he was hired to make the tournament consistently. 
and he's done that. I think, of course, the expectations at a UCLA, if you started and the team hadn't been good for five years, that that is different. Um, but to sum up your question and answer it, yeah, I, I do. I think expectations do pl- play a big role. Uh, but but even just to my point, even if he was at a team where the expectations are a little higher, I mean, he did make an Elite Eight a few years ago. He's recruited well. And I, I think right now it's just too reactionary based on his track record. I definitely get the complaints. And they have a lot of issues that are fairly consistent year in and year out. But I look at results, Elite Eight, one and done, one and done, bad year. That's three out of four years that you say, huh, that's that's pretty good. And you take that. A lot of really good programs don't make an elite eight in, in four years. So I don't know. I feel like I'm pissing people off, but I, I think it's too <laughs> quick to move off from them based on one season. And to answer your question, I do think because USC doesn't have the historical pedigree, even though I don't think that matters as much as some people do, I, I, I do think that does make a difference. And I, I wouldn't let him go. It's, 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 you know, it's USC men's basketball. It's not North Carolina. It's not Kentucky. Certainly it is a little bit of a different expectation. All right. Interesting. So I would say, I'm not saying that this, this year is fireball offense and you know, you can't look at seasons in a vacuum. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and fans want to do that. They want to look at one game. A lot of times in football, especially you look at one game, that's a fireball offense. They lost this one game to so-and-so let's not forget Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe. He did fire him. Got to fire him. You can't you can't lose to Louisiana Monroe at Alabama, right? Well, if the situation is you come in and the program has been terrible, then maybe you understand it a little bit more. However, I think the big question for a lot of USC fans is: Is Andy Enfield getting the most out of his teams? And I think that they are falling short, especially the last couple of years, have fallen short. Um, and part of that is, I think most of that is on roster construction. And it's very difficult right now to construct rosters with the NIL that USC basketball does not necessarily have. They can't get the exact players they want to get. We've seen that pretty consistently the last couple of years where certain guys that they would really like to have in the program, someone like Keyshad Johnson, sometimes you just get beat out for a recruit. But other times it's also NIL is a big factor in it. And there's guys that they can't even go after because of NIL and the NIL desires of some players. Now, maybe those are guys they don't necessarily want to go after because if you're searching for that type of NIL initially and you haven't proven anything, is that the type of player that you want to kind of lead the program? All those type of things that could be debated at a different point, but the last couple of years, they haven't got as much as they could out of the talent that they have on the roster. Now this year it's been because of injuries and everything else. It's been, you know, Murphy's law this year, everything has been has stacked up. Anything that can go wrong has seemed to go wrong. I was very surprised that DJ Rodman played against ASU after he rolled his ankle and left uh, against Arizona, I was like, well, someone else, another starter is going to go down for USC. It just felt, feels like that's the case. Now, if you were Jim Cohen, I think it's different, different to look at than a fan. Of course, she's coming in. Does she want to make her mark? That's always the question with an, a new AD. And everyone always says, Oh, a new AD wants to come in and make their mark. Well, you're not going to do it in football, right? Lincoln Riley is, is, set in stone right now with USC. He's going to be here for a few more years until he decides to leave uh, if they continue to win games. They didn't win games this year, so that'll be a question in a couple of years. But the next most high-profile opportunity is men's basketball. Does Jen Cohen look at it like, this is my opportunity to set my, set my foot at USC and say, this is my hire? I think there are challenges to doing that for her just because he did sign an extension um, – 
last last year, I believe, in the spring last year. Maybe it was um, – I'm blanking on the exact timing of it. But he did recently sign an extension, so that means there is a bigger buyout because there are more years on the contract. So does it make sense financially to fire Andy Enfield? And then who are you bringing in? Because if you fire Andy Enfield and there you have to pay that buyout, who are you going to be able to have money still remaining to go out and get – that's going to want to come to USC, a place that traditionally does not have the history, does not have the fan support consistently, that is the challenge. Now, it is fertile recruiting grounds, and an alpha coach will see that as an opportunity, say, I can go in there, and there's dudes all around. If I bring the dudes to USC, we will win. We will get the fans in there. That will happen. We're going to the Big Ten, all those type things. But you still got to pay those alpha coaches too. And so that would be the big question if – the financials of it to me don't seem feasible to make a move at this time. And, you know, buyouts go down as contracts go on. I think one bad year, Andy Enfield deserves a mulligan. Uh, and, you know, how do you bounce back from it? When they, when they struggled and didn't make the tournament with Kevin Porter, you saw a complete change in the way they attacked the, you know, the way they attacked their coaching. They focused so much more on defense and defense principles, which, one of the big reasons this year has been so disappointing is the defense hasn't been there. But if this year continues and they struggle and don't make a run in the Pac-12 tournament, do we see some drastic changes next year? That may be something, and maybe that's something that you know Jen Cohen says, hey, you're not out, but somebody on your bench has got to go. Um, and you, we see some changes on the assistant coaching staff. We see some changes with how they kind of go about things. I think that would happen before you would make a move and fire Andy Enfield. Yeah, and we got to see what the rest of the season looks like, of course, yep. because it's not over right now. Just going back to the history of it, Shotgun, and I know we got to wrap up here. I mean, I try to look at just the last four seasons, and we, we can include this one. I mean, the, the one loss that was the killer was the Miami loss in the NCAA tournament with Isaiah Mobley. And, I mean, the year before, that was the Elite Eight. And then last year, I feel like they – played to their, their ceiling, like a Michigan state team one and done in the NCAA tournament. I, that, I didn't look at that game and that season is like, Oh, this is a big failure. I looked at that season as a success. They had the big marquee win against UCLA and maybe my standards just aren't high enough for, for this team. I, I just know, I, I know over the years people are frustrated with Andy and I, and I, and I get why, but I don't know. I look at the last three uh, or excuse me. So the last three full seasons and and then this year, I think two out of four have been pretty frustrating and then two out of four have been solid. And one out of those solid was really good in an elite eight. Can you do much better than that? I don't know. And you wonder what happens if that Drew Peterson half court shot goes in, hits off the backboard, hits off the rim against Miami. Do, does USC then do they, are they able to make the run that Miami makes, you know, cause Miami beats Auburn the next game. And then I think they, they made it the final four that year or just elite eight. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I think but, Elite Eight. Yeah, they made a great run um, that that really positioned them. And last year, they made you know played really well as well. So you know, if one shot goes in, one Drew Peterson would have been on every March Madness one March Madness commercial, but our March Madness highlight reel with him and Jalen Suggs. Um, you know, and you know the NC State game and all those classic games that you remember. Now those obviously were higher stakes later in the tournament, but. I don't I don't think there's ever been anyone that's made like a legit half court shot to win an NCAA tournament game yet. 
I don't know. Off the top of my head, I can't think of one. There's been a, a number of the the Bryce Drews and whatnot, you know, hitting a three pointer, and you know, USC fans will remember Georgia Tech uh, in that same regard. But no one has really made that half court shot, so that would have been spectacular, especially for me because he was probably six feet in front of me when he shot that ball. So I was shooting photos, right? You know, that would have been. You know, if he if he went as full Jalen Suggs, he probably would have been standing right in front of me, type of thing. So, uh, you know, would have been would have been fun to capture those moments. But instead, it bounces off, and that's that's sports. That's sports for you. So, who knows what would have happened that season? Instead, USC was one and done, one and done last year, and we'll see what happens this year. Like I said, the season's not over; their at large chances are over, but they can still put together a run. They're fully capable when healthy, but they got to get healthy. We'll see. It starts on Saturday against UCLA. What time, what better time to start a good run than against your rival, as we said earlier, but that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC triple double podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family. Please help us out. Like share, subscribe, leave us the review on our pot, your favorite podcast listening platform. And always, as always, we welcome your feedback, your questions, your concerns at podcast at uscfootball.com. Connor, any final thoughts? Good time to start a win streak for the men, like you said. My last thought on the Andy Enfield thing, it seems like there's going to be a lot of roster turnover next season. I'm excited to see what the roster looks like. And if they do have a bad year, then I think Jen Cohen might be time to act. But Transfer Portal is going to loom large next season. Let's just say that. We'll see what happens. I've been your host, Shotgun Spratlin, saying thank you to USC men's assistant basketball coach, Kirk Karras, for joining the show. Thank you to my co-host, Connor Morissette. And thank you guys out there for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you all join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast. Peace.